Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And today with me is Geraldine Belafsky from, well, formerly Los Angeles, currently Los Angeles, but soon to be Phoenix, Arizona. How's it going? Hey, it's good. Awesome. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. Yeah, it's a tricky one, but you got it. Cool, cool. Because I didn't actually ask for a pronouncer since I've met you many times and your husband, but I actually realized until just now that I've never said it out loud. (laughs) No worries. You nailed it. Um, and I usually like to ask people a couple questions about their age and generation and all that. So I'll get that out of the way. But in addition, because I'd rather have you explain it, um, could you let our audience know how old you are, where you grew up? And then what I'd also like to know is what your current occupation is. Sure. So I am 38 years old and I grew up in Miami, Florida, in like the northern part of Miami near Aventura. Um, just cause I feel like there's different parts of Miami. I, I need to specify. <laughs> and, um, uh, what was that last question? Um, what, what is your occupation? How would you describe your job? Oh, yeah. my occupation. Right. I am a reality TV producer. Yeah. I make reality TV. That is awesome. And do you want to announce what show you make or are you going to keep that off? Um, I work on the baking championship series for the food network. It is very cool. And what you do for uh, a job is not just a job, but it's also a passion. And I know that you've worked very long and very hard to get as far as you are. So I personally am impressed by that. And believe it or not, that does segue into this overall interview, because even though it's seemingly just about the meaning of death and how it affects the way we live our life, um, it's also about what experiences you have that lead to that. So I think I'm going to start from kind of a weird point, which is how has your experience of working in Hollywood, which is such a famously stereotyped place, how has that changed or not changed your feelings about morality and philosophy and the meaning of life? Wow, that's you're starting with like such a heavy question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, has Hollywood changed my? You know, I don't think it's changed them, but it's made me think about them. You know, Hollywood has stereotypes, I think, for a reason, um, and I think some of them certainly hold true as you know, evidenced by the Me Too movement and stuff. Um, So I think, you know, I've had to make choices in my work um, of what shows I don't want to work on, what's content that I don't like, um, and and focus on shows that I do like and that I can be proud of. Um, I don't know how that's, I don't know if it necessarily weighed in on my views of life and death. Um, That comes from more of just my own, my own stuff I feel like like a little bit religious but I don't even know if I fall in line with my religion's view on death um but morality it's just my work has made me really focus on like what I think is what I hold true and what I think is important and what I want to do for my life (laughs) so yeah so and I wanted to start with the Hollywood thing just because I think it's a lot of people fantasize about it and they want to know what it's like and I think what's actually more important to me is the fact that you grew up with a dream and you achieved it and I think that that's not rare but it's also not common I think it's like a yeah and it's it's damn cool and I've met you enough times that I have been very impressed by so um, let's just kind of start with the overall like life and philosophy and, and theology kind of thing. Um, do you consider yourself religious at this point? Um, okay. So yes and no, I guess. 
for me, okay, so if I were to ask myself, am I religious? I would say no, but um, I do, we are members of, we're Jewish, our faith is Jewish, and we are members of a temple. We choose to send our girls to a Jewish preschool because we do, we like the values um, of a Jewish education. And so when I say I'm religious, for me, it's more um, about the tradition and the community, really. I love the traditions of Judaism, you know, that I can go to a temple service anywhere and the same prayers are in the same, you know, Hebrew language and many times often to the same tune. And now that I see my girls doing the same prayers. So I like the the tradition of religion. I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to all the things. Like I don't read the Torah literally, <laughs> you know? And when you refer to your girls, you refer to your two daughters, I'm assuming. My two daughters, sorry. Yes, they are two and four. <laughs> so, and what's that like? Like, do you ever have to answer questions about religion with them? Or are they still too young for that? They're still too young. And they've both only really been to Jewish schools. Uh, Christmas time is starting to be challenging because we have to tell my four-year-old that Santa doesn't come to our house. Um, but thus far, she's sort of just been okay with that answer. Very cool. And uh, how about the way you were raised? Were you raised to believe in Judaism, and what I mean by that is like the literal belief that there is a God who instructed Moses and that kind of stuff. So no, I did not grow up in a very Jewish household. My parents are both Jewish, but they're actually both from Argentina as well. Um, and so I grew up in what I would consider more of a Latin household than a Jewish household. But growing up, I also, I mean, that's how I know your wife, Alana, is, um, you know, through elementary school, but we went to camp together and I always went to camp at the temple. I also went to preschool at a temple. Like I, we, I had a very, I had Jew, Judaism in my life forever, but we didn't like celebrate Shabbat at home, and we, and it was never discussed at home outside of like the high holidays, really. Okay, yeah, and actually that's a funny side note for me, just because I'm a quarter Cuban, which means I was also raised somewhat Latin, and Alana is one of the most Latin people I've ever met who's completely not Latin, and now I'm starting to realize it's because <laughs> she spent so much time with you and your family. With me, yes, 100%. You can blame that on me. That is very <laughs> funny. It finally makes sense because I've never understood this. So, okay. And so so you are you were raised in Miami. I'm assuming, is is it, did your parents meet somewhere else and move to Miami together or how did that work? Yeah, they met in Argentina and they dated in Argentina and then they got married in 79 and then moved here shortly thereafter to Miami. Wow. So you're, so you're first generation American. I am. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you have absolutely no accent, which is pretty cool. Um, I know. I feel like I'm the dream. And I went to college and everything. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> like, it's not easy for a first generation. Like, I'm super proud of my parents for doing that. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, do you have siblings? I have an older sister. She's a year and a half older. And I have a younger brother who's seven years younger. And I'm sure I'm just asking these kind of questions because they sometimes relate to the overall topic. So, okay, so we're we're actually we have a lot in common. We're both raised... Jewish by like name, like culturally almost, and but not really with any sort of like, you know, well, Judaism doesn't put you the fear of God in you, but right, you know what I yeah. mean, just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Agree, yeah, culturally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what, uh, if any, if any, what was your first spiritual experience you can remember? Ooh, that's a great question. First spiritual experience? Oh, that's really hard. Oh my God, I didn't realize this was going to be like this. Okay, um... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so like my first, like, I feel like, and I'm sorry, I'm saying the word like a lot. That's also really embarrassing. It's really okay. I I actually say it more than any guest. (laughs) Okay. I think my first, let's just say like my first, like fear of life kind of thing, maybe it might be the better way to say it was when I broke my ankle in college. 
I actually fell downstairs. Um, like I just tumbled down like a bunch of stairs. And I remember like hitting the steps along the way um, and thinking like, oh my God, I could die right now. Like this is how I'm gonna go. <laughs> um, and then I didn't and I just broke my ankle and it was like a whole funny story and everything's fine. But like, I think, and I think since then I've viewed, I feel like it's changed a lot of things for me, <laughs> like how I view life and my, my everyday life. <laughs> that's no, that's incredible. And that's actually, um, I'm going to give you like a weird compliment. Usually it takes more than that for some people to wake up. Um, so to speak, like, uh, like it takes like a strong diagnosis of cancer or like, you know, whereas you like, I would say you're very smart because you totally could have killed yourself. And a lot of people don't realize, I think how these near miss things are actually like the near is pretty near. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So like I will hold handrails whenever I go downstairs now, like I always, like it doesn't matter like how fancy I'm dressed up and it's supposed to be like, you know, like sometimes when you're dressed up and you're supposed to be like, gliding down the stairs. I'm like, no, I'm going to hold on to this railing for dear life. Like <laughs> I'm going to always hold the handrails now. Um, and I'm just like so much more cautious about everything. And I think it comes out like in my kids and how I raise them too, which is annoying. And I'm putting my own stuff on them, but it's like, you know, I, I had that fluke thing happen and now I'm like just so cautious because it can happen like that, you know, that quickly. Well, yeah. And let's, let's kind of like unpackage this in reverse. Um, so it's, it doesn't sound to me at all that you fear death. It sounds to me that you really respect life. So let's work backwards. What would have happened that day if you had died, do you think? What? I don't know. It would have been awful. I mean, do you do you think you would have floated to heaven and watched oh, your dead oh, body on the ground? Okay. Do you? Yeah. That's a good question. You know, I sort of, okay. I guess if like I'm having a casual conversation and I feel like I've talked to Alana a little bit about this, about like past lives and that, you know, I, I always felt like I was this like in my past life, I was like lived in medieval times and was like, you know, a princess or whatever. <laughs> um, so like, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I romanticize the idea of, you know, your soul coming back, you know, in reincarnation. But do I actually think it like, no, I don't think I'm look like my soul will be looking down on me or my body or I don't, I'm much more like science like that. Like, I think you're, when you're dead, you're dead. Like that's it. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, it's nicer to talk about it thinking that like, you know, your loved ones are up in heaven looking down on you and helping you and stuff. Cause it's sad to say goodbye. Um, and so it's better to sort of think that way, but in, in truth, like I don't, when I think about it, I don't have a vision of what that looks like or anything. Like I don't really think that happens. That's a very good answer. And just because you were nervous before the interview, you're doing great. Oh, thank you. I do. I feel from you like this dual understanding. And I like this because it's pretty cool actually to meet someone who like, you're, you're not saying like, I'm positive. There is no such thing, but you're just admitting that you don't really have that opinion and that it doesn't like really gel with you. So conversely, you do value life obviously and very much so and yeah so so what do you think um what do you think stops you because i know you i'm asking this um from being like overtly selfish and self-centered because you're like a very giving and thoughtful person and yet you don't think there's anything beyond this life which is very often why people are nice so right that's a good point yeah i don't do it for my afterlife um 
And I do think I teach constantly to my kids that kindness is the most important thing. And I will use this example today. Um, I dropped off my two-year-old at her school and then I had my four-year-old with me. And on her way out, she picked some flowers. And as we were leaving, she gave it to the school director. She gave one to him. She's like, here's a flower for you. And he was just, he was so touched by it. He was just like, oh, thank you. I'm going to put this in my pocket and keep it. Thank you so much. And as we were walking out, I told her, I said, Isla, you just put a smile on his face. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? Isn't that the best thing you can do? And she was like, yeah, it is. And she didn't think much of it because we talk about it a lot. But I think being kind and doing good is the least we can all do for each other in this world. Like we're all here and whether you think it's your afterlife is going to be your eternity or this is all you have, either way you cut it, it feels like if you could just bring a smile to people's face and do something that makes other people happy, as long as it doesn't sacrifice your own happiness, then what's the big deal? That's how I see it. Like, you know, there's so many weird, like political things happening and it's like, okay, if calling you a certain pronoun makes you feel better, it doesn't affect me. Why, why, why am I going to make a stink? Sure. I'm going to call you however you want to be called. If your name's Robert and you want to be called Bob, I'm going to call you Bob. Like, Whatever makes people happy. And if you if I have an extra flower, I'm going to give it to you to put a smile on your face, you know? That's very cool. And I've never heard anyone equate like a nickname to gender pronouns. And yet it's actually yeah. a very cogent <laughs> argument. No, like you're very smart. That's actually... It's a very simplified version. It is, but it would actually... You could kill in a comedy club with that because it's like, it's actually very true. Like, why would we be indignant at one change and not the other? Because yeah, I remember as a kid being like, why would William be called Bill? This doesn't make any sense. Because it was with President right, Clinton. Yeah. I remember like just being so confused by that. And my parents like just being like, just don't worry about it. <laughs> just call him Bill. Yeah, like it's just, you know, so exactly. And, and there's so many other examples where it's just, if there's a little thing I can do and it makes you happier and, and not feel like your life is being infringed upon or if it just brings a smile to your face or whatever, then that's what I'm going to do, you know? <laughs> so then you mentioned earlier that like you might not take a certain project because of like your morality or ethics or just kind of your decisions. Like does that, um, how do you feel about content that is considered like mean or, or like bad yet puts a smile on people's face? Like, does that ever come up for you? Yes. Okay. So, so I won't do it if I don't like the content, if I have to, so my, as a producer, my job is to get the people to do on camera and do and say what we want them to do, what we think will make the best TV show. And making the best TV show means that you as the viewers might get a smile on your face. But I don't want to have to tell somebody, and I've had jobs like this where it's, you know, gosh, I don't want to make it like obvious what shows I'm talking about, but I'll put a blanket statement, like, like dating shows, you want to see people want to see people crying. And I don't want to, you know, be in an interview chair and keep talking to them until I get them to cry about the love that they just lost. Or um, I don't want to be in a chair and have somebody and tell them, oh, this person said all these horrible things about you. Doesn't that make you mean and want to fight them? You know, um, so I don't want to be in that position where I'm putting negative vibes out there. And that makes me super uncomfortable to have to bring negativity to people's lives. Um, so I don't. So I work on baking shows that's about cookies and cupcakes, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is really cool. I'm really glad I asked that question because I, I'm i just very happy to hear your answer. It's very fascinating to me. I mean, there's a lot of people who do it and they do it because it's their job and that's a good enough reason for them. And, you know, as we say in Yiddish, because it's a right, like you do you. Um, 
but for me, I, I, and I also had the luxury that I got to a place in my career where I could pick and choose my projects and I didn't have to just take any job that came my way, um, to prove my, to prove myself. That's cool. And I have like a very sappy kind of like softball question, but I want to ask it anyway, because I do feel this way. Your, your husband is a very naturally funny man and he's like very talented. Is that part of your attraction to him originally? It's just like, he literally put a smile on your face. Yeah. Actually, we can give him a quick plug. Uh, Marty Belaski is her husband. You can look up up on IMDB and stuff. He's yeah. He's awesome. Can I say one more thing? Can I add something? Oh, hell yeah. Of course, please. So this is totally left field and I don't know how you're going to edit this in, but so when I signed on to this, I was like, I feel like this is the thing I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm just going to talk about it, which is, so I feel like death and like, I feel like I'm a very morbid person actually. Um, so I know I sound very sunny and bright, but like my fear of death is constantly with me in the way that like, I'm afraid of freak accidents. Like if you were to ask me what's my biggest fear in life, like some people it's like snakes or spiders or public speaking or like my fear is freak accidents. So like driving in a car, like anytime a car slightly swerves out of its lane, I'm like, whoa, get out of my way. I'm going to take like, I'm going to give you good distance. Like if I have to be under an overpass at a red light, I think about like, what happens if this bridge is going to crumble on me? How fast can I like reverse my car or what maneuver can I do? <laughs> like, I, that's like, I think about it all the time. Or like if my kids are like, swinging on a velvet rope thing and like no you can fall over and bump your head like i'm constantly thinking about how i could die in any given situation <laughs> okay so first of all we have a ton in common i used to write a column and it was all about irrational fears and that was pretty much it yeah like it doesn't stop me from living my life you know but like it's just something i think about constantly <laughs> well no that's great i'm actually uh i want to ask you a ton of questions about this so uh, does anyone who knows you well call you paranoid about this? No, I think it's, I think it's a very internalized thing. I don't think people know this about me. <laughs> Got it. And, and I guess the follow-up question, which you started to answer, but I kind of interrupted you is, have you ever not done something out of this fear? I don't, well, so yes, I don't, I won't skydive. Um, cause I'm, I'm like, why would I throw myself out of an airplane? Like, that's just asking for trouble. Um, you know, so I don't bungee jump. I don't do, so when people ask you like, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? I can't come up with an answer because I don't do crazy things. I would say moving to Hollywood. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's a leap of faith. That's not, you know, I wasn't going to die by doing that in theory. Um, <laughs> so I don't do like super, you know, adventurous things like that. Um, I once was offered like to, you know, go work on Naked and Afraid. And I was like, I don't want to be around spiders that can kill me. So I was like, I'm not going to take that job, you know? <laughs> um, so I don't do like super risky things, but no, it doesn't, like I said, like I'm scared of like bridges tumbling on me. I'm scared of like, what if I'm in a parking garage and the big earthquake hits and every one of these cement layers falls on top of me? Uh, like I just think about it, but it's not enough to stop me from doing anything because I, I can't live, like I, that means I would have to be at home all day and like be a hermit. So I guess it's healthy in that way, but um it's just something that, that, I, that I think about. <laughs> We're definitely two peas in a pod because I'm very similar. But I do want to circle back then to your ankle accident, and I want to get a little more in-depth about it. Um, first of all, just the quick question. Did this fear exist before that accident? I don't think it did. Like, I don't have, you know, I was also, so I was young, right? I was in college when this happened. I was 20. Um, 
And so, you know, when you're young, you're dumb. Yeah. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and so this might have been like my, like, look how dangerous the world can be call, you know? I mean, were you like, was there any reason it was dumb? Like, were you drunk or like, was it? No, I was totally sober. I was wearing sneakers. It's just really embarrassing. I was just leaving class, going to my next stop. And I just ate it. Oh, God. Where there's sort of tons of people around. Yeah. It was like, right, right. Exactly. Classes were changing. And I just fell. And so, yeah, I, I like finally get up. And there's like a swarm of people around me. And at first, before I realized my ankle was broken, it was just like the ego was super bruised. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, no, I'm fine. Everybody go about your day. I'm fine. And then I was definitely not fine. So like a couple people stood around and helped me get to the, the healthcare center. Yeah. And then I'm assuming it was like a good at least eight weeks for that to heal. Probably longer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I didn't need surgery. But yeah. 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 No, that's cool. Um, so then, okay. So we're going to assume it kind of did develop out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like in that moment, in that accident, you said you thought you could die. Was this like a really like time slowed down and you thought you could die? Or- yeah. So no, it was like, so you start falling and then it feels like you're falling forever. Um, and, and with like each thump, we'll say with each like bounce off a step, it's like, oh my God, I'm falling downstairs. Oh my God. I'm still falling. Oh my God. People die like this. And then I have like visions of like, I had like this out of body where I was like, not on that stairs. I've envisioned myself on a different staircase, which is weird because the staircase in question was actually like this outdoor one. And I envisioned it like in a home on a staircase. Cause I feel like in the movies, you always see like women falling downstairs. I don't know. And like horrible crimes or whatever. Um, so I sort of like had that out of body experience where I was like watching myself in a movie tumble downstairs. Um, and then I landed like uh, face down, like chest down and sort of like splat. And so it took like a good while to get like my bearings. At first I couldn't talk, so I was embarrassed. And then I couldn't talk because I was in pain. And then finally I was able to like sit up and become like a normal person again. Yeah. And I mean, I can just imagine because you're away at college, you're not like with family. Like, I mean, that's just a very, yeah, it's very traumatic at that age. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. And it was all like strangers coming to help me, you know, it was like everybody was just changing classes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was really weird. Well, I've only had one like major accident that scared me on that level. And it was a car accident where a car ran a stop sign. I was on a bike and it was heading towards me. And it's the same thing. I remember like having these like absurd thoughts and like everything. It really was slow motion. It was just the weirdest. And and that by far impacted me more than anything. Um, Yeah. I have like nightmares like that too. Like I have like reoccurring nightmares where like I'm in a car and I can't stop and I just slam right into the car in front of me. Or I'm in a car. It's always in a car. Weird. I'm in a car and it like suddenly like I careen off the side. I'm able to, and there's like all these little islands and my car just keeps like careening off island from one to the next until finally there's like no more island and I just jump into the water and that's when I wake up. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm curious what your opinion about the following would be, because I just heard this yesterday on a podcast, and it was Sebastian Younger. He's a writer. He's pretty famous, but he had a near-death experience recently, like a real, real bad one. And um, it, you know, he said it changed his whole life. And he said, before it, I was an atheist. And he's like, and I'm still an atheist, but there's something cracking in me because I did have these weird like hallucinations and just like too many weird things happened with it. And it, it woke me up to like caring more. So I'm curious, like, how do you reflect on this experiment, not experiment, experience for you as far as like, it did make you more quote unquote spiritual by my definition, but it didn't change like your, you know, somewhat nihilistic view that like, this is it, this is all we got. Do do you feel like dreams? Because what he said is he said, 
the only thing he now feels differently about is he feels like his subconscious mind is actually a lot more awake than he ever thought and that it's always trying to send him messages and he's been just very bad at hearing those messages. And so he would say specifically that dreaming about car crashes absolutely does not mean you're going to have a car crash, but it is your subconscious brain like screaming at you about something. Yes, I do think dreams especially recurring ones are saying something. I have a lot of dreams about like packing and unpacking as well, which I think is also like some kind of, I, I, I don't have a dream translating book, which I should, but I do think that your subconscious is sorting through your life and your day's experiences in a way that in that way. So that when you're sleeping, it's your mind's way of like organizing everything and deciding like what to keep and what can go away and what sort of feelings and memories you need to hang on to. It's like, you know, your, your, your brain indexes it, I guess, through your dreams um, and, and, and sort of advises you. And so what you remember the next morning, you're like, oh, I had a weird dream, but maybe you don't remember it. Um, so maybe your body's only left with like the feeling, you know, maybe it's, you know, or, and it's not so much the visual that's important. Um, or sometimes you remember every detail of your dream and that's your body's way of being, of, like reminding you of certain details that happened previously, you know, and that you need to keep those sharp. Um, so I think there's sort of, yeah, that spectrum, but definitely like the subconscious is doing work for sure. Um, and advising my life <laughs> and people's lives. No, I mean, yeah, <laughs> totally. And so this is so fascinating to me because you really are like this, you're, you're a pretty weird hybrid of the 20 something guests I've had because you're like, you're, I definitely would not call you an atheist. Um, yeah. but I also would not call you like anything so i'm just curious how would you call yourself like what would you like if isla your daughter comes home from school in five years and says today we learned about like religion and philosophy like and blah 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 means this and like and then she says mommy what are you i say i'm jewish because um i follow the traditions of judaism and i think at its heart you know, and I said this earlier, the values of Judaism are what I follow. You know, do I think Noah was literally on an ark with all the animals for 40 days and 40 nights? No. But do I think we need to take care of our earth? Yes. Um, you know, so I think there's lessons to be gleaned from the stories of the Torah without having to necessarily literally subscribe to all of them. Because obviously, you know, it's such an ancient book that there's horrible things in there. <laughs> so I can't. You know, and I, I'm the kind of person I always say this to people when they ask me questions like, you know, now about like coronavirus and COVID and the vaccines, like I don't choose when I believe in science. I have to believe it all the time, whether it's something that works for me or it doesn't. So, you know, if science says I need to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. If science says I no longer need to wear a mask, I'll say, okay, I don't need to wear a mask anymore, even if it makes me nervous. Um, and so, the, so with religion, it's a little different. I don't have to, it's, it's stories. Religion is tradition. It's it's community and it's mythology um, for the reason of teaching lessons and values. The, that's what I take from my religion, you know, is the importance of family, the importance of love and loving everybody, um, of giving, of, you know, all those kinds of things. Totally. Wow. I'm, I'm really impressed. You have a pretty self-contained system because that's my goal on this is to see flaws in people's systems and then to bring them up to them and then ask them, how do you reconcile this? And like, you really don't have any, um, it sounds like you're, I'm flawless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... <laughs> no, for real though, I do think that it's pretty interesting. Cause you are like, you're not afraid of being a hypocrite, but you're, you seem very like, 
you want your system to balance and check out. And I think it does check out. So it sounds like you're open-minded. Yeah, I'm okay with being a hypocrite because it's like, I don't mean to be a hypocrite. So point out to me if something doesn't make sense. And okay, I can. I don't have to say what I believe is the way it is. You know, it's like, I, if, if something is different than how I see it, I'm open to seeing things new ways, you know? I think the only, the only thing I would really want to test you on, and it was going to be my last question, is like, what would you do if something or someone you really trusted really deeply let you down? Like, how would your system respond to that? That's a great question. Um, so I would probably put that, take them out of my life to a certain degree. Um, my, I'll say this and I might get in trouble. Um, my little brother, he's seven years younger than me. He's been struggling his whole life to sort of find his, his role in this world. Um, and I remember I used to defend him a lot. I'd say, oh, he's, you know, he's young still. He's still figuring out his life, this, that, and the other. And I remember one day I was home visiting and my dad was like, let's go do this cool, fun activity. I forgot what it was now. And I was like, no, I promised Steven I was going to, he's my brother. I was like, I promised my brother I'm going to take him to drop resumes off at the mall or something like that. I was like, I wanted to help him like, you know, professionally. He ended up sleeping the whole day. And, um, and like, I tried to wake him up and I was like, Steven, I told you we were going to, and I ended up missing both things. I didn't get to go do the fun thing with my dad because I was trying to get my brother to do this responsible thing. My brother didn't care or value my time with him. Um, and so, and then that was sort of it. I stopped defending him and I was like, that's it. And, and for the most part, I mean, he's my brother, so I can't take him out of my life, but, um, I don't try anymore. I don't defend him and I don't stand up for him and I don't, I don't go to bat for him. You know, I did because I did that and I was let down. Okay. That's now you, you made a bed and now you sleep in it or whatever the saying is. That was a great story. That's a really good anecdote and a great way to end this podcast because I do, I think that that actually really sums up and balances your personality. And I want for our audience to know why I think that's great. You didn't say you MF'd him and told him to never come back and you didn't like make a permanent decision. You just made an accurate decision based on the current situation. And so it sounds to me, I can tell you what philosophy would call you, which is you're a um, kind of like a philosophic, philosophical utilitarian. You're just kind of like all about the maximum benefit for the maximum good, but that really includes yourself because in a lot of your answers today, you said things about like, you know, if it's not making me happy, if it's not serving my happiness. And that's very different from hedonism, just in case people are listening and think I'm saying the, something else. But it's more, yeah, and it's cool because I can see it. Your your one daughter, Romy, is, is too young to see it yet. But I really do see that Isla, like, Isla has picked this up from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah. see it too. And the flower story. cool girl. Yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. Is there anything you want to add before we uh, call it quits here? Um, no, this was super fun and I can't wait to be neighbors soon. <laughs> awesome. Yes, me too. I'm so excited. So, um, Geraldine Malaski from LA for another five days and Phoenix, <laughs> Arizona. Uh, thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. As always, I am Mike Oppenheim and you have been listening to Coffin Talk, exit interviews with the living. We will see you soon. Walking alone.